right, well, good morning, contact family. Good morning to our Brentwood Oaks family that's here visiting us from Austin. They're here for a big work project and to melt in the heat. That's what they're here for. We're going to be going out four nights this week to Western Pines doing cookouts and VBS stuff. And, man, we scheduled a great week for it, didn't we? Best week of the summer to do it. 97 every day. So it's going to be good times. All right, kids, since you are in here today, we're going to do what we've done before. I want you to be listening for the word kingdom. And you need to count how many times I say kingdom during the service today. Because if you tell me at the end of the service how many times I said kingdom, then we're going to have some candy for you. All right? So we're counting the number of times we say kingdom. I need some people who are official counters for us. So we got Billy on counting. We got Kyler probably on counting. We got every single teenager on counting. So we'll see if we get the same number or not. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. All right, here we go. We're in our fourth week on our series, and let's start off how we've started every week. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. But Jesus replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. Jesus says this is why he's sent. So, is the kingdom low importance, high importance for Jesus? High importance. That is right, Sebastian. It is like an 11 on a scale of 1 to 10. This is what Jesus says he is sent for, so it's got to be something pretty significant for us to understand, too, right? Yes. So, here's where we've been this month. We started off with God's plan to reign. We went to how things collapsed. Last week was the gospel of Jesus, and this week we're going to be talking about life in the kingdom. Let's do a quick recap on each of those weeks, because it's important, because we're building on things, and it's good to know where we've been. First off, God's plan to reign. You are made to reign on God's behalf as the image of God. There's a lot of things that we, we think about image of God meaning, but when we look at the scripture and when we look at other kingdoms, other gods and other kingdoms, gods, had idols that represented their reign wherever they were. And so if you were following that God, you had that idol. God made his own idols, it's the same word in Hebrew as image, and that is you. You are God's image you were designed to be God's reign on this earth. So it's pretty high, high calling for us, right? Right out of the gate. This is page one of the Bible is what God expects of us is we are here to reign under God's authority. But quickly, Adam and Eve in the garden, God says you can eat anything here in the garden except for this one tree. So what do they do? Say, how about that tree then? And we do that too, don't we? We do that too. We have all had experiences in our life where we knew what was right, where we knew what was best, and we chose the opposite. And that is all of our story. So how things collapse, we all keep repeating a pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape on our own. Genesis 1 through 11 starts with God's creation in the garden and ends up with the Tower of Babel being built. The story of Israel starts off with Abram being called out of Ur, and ends with the people of Israel being taken into Babylon. And that's where we go to, is every kingdom on earth eventually becomes Babylon when God is not in leadership. Because it's just our propensity. That's just the choice that we make. But God has a solution, and it's a big solution, and that is Jesus, right? King Jesus' life and death 
set our example for what it looks like that God wants us to be as his co-rulers on earth. So as we look at Jesus' life, we say these are the things that God wants from us as part of being in the kingdom, as part of following the king. And the good news is that after Jesus' death, right, is the resurrection. And the resurrected King Jesus reveals what God and his kingdom are leading to. Christ is the firstborn of the new creation. And we have something where this is all going. And we're going to be talking about a lot about what it looks like to follow Jesus today. But also, we're going to talk about where things are headed in the future. To give us some hope and excitement about what God is doing. So, what does it mean to say yes to the kingdom? A lot of these things are saying, well, follow God. Well, yeah, but like, what... What does that mean? Sometimes we need to break things down a little bit more. And so Jesus talks about the cost of discipleship. He says, you know, someone starts to build a tower, and they don't figure out how much money they have to build it, and then they start building it, and they get the first part done, and then they've got a half-built tower, and they have to walk away because they're not ready. Following Jesus is a good thing, but following Jesus is not an easy thing. And we're going to be talking some about that today. It is good, and it is worth it, but there is definitely some challenge. So I want you to know what you're getting into before you say yes. Hopefully you're going to say yes at the end, and a lot of you already have, so this is a big reminder. Before we do that, let's pray the Lord's Prayer to get us centered on what we're doing, on where God's taking us, and what Jesus asked us to do. So pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If that's not one of your daily practices, it ought to be. It is a good thing that has so much in it that reminds us of who we ought to be, what we need to be doing, and what Jesus is calling us to. So that's a good reminder for us, too, as we get into this, what it means to live in the kingdom, that that is what Jesus commanded people to say. We see it show up in Jesus' life, that he must have been praying this, too, and so it's worth it for us to pray it. So, kingdom. Is the kingdom near, or is the kingdom here? Is our question we're starting off. Jesus says, your kingdom come. He says his job is to declare that the kingdom is coming. But we talked too last week about how Jesus on the cross is Jesus' coronation where Jesus becomes king. So does that mean that the kingdom's already here? When you look outside the building today, does it feel like God's reign has taken over the world? Does it feel like God's reign has taken over at least some things, though? I'd say yes. And that's what we're talking about, is we are living in this tension, and we're going to talk more about this as we go, of the kingdom is kind of here, but it's not all the way here yet. And so we are living in an in-between time, an in-between time where the kingdom has been established, Jesus' reign as king has begun, but this world is not transformed. This world is not transformed. So we're going to watch a video on, it's called The Way of the Exile. (laughs) 
In the year 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonian Empire. And a year later, the city and the temple were plundered and burned. Thousands of Israelites were taken from their homes and relocated all over ancient Babylon. They became exiles. And so now they're a minority surrounded by a new culture with new gods. Now, some Israelites chose to resist Babylon by revolting or withdrawing. Others gave in, adopting the Babylonian way of life and accepting these new gods as their own. And you might think those are your only two options, but the prophet Jeremiah told them to do something totally different and surprising. To settle in, build houses, plant gardens, grow families, and most surprisingly, to seek the well-being of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So this is like a third way. Yeah, it's not compromise or revolt. What does it look like? Well, there's a whole book of the Bible that explores that question. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel was one of the Israelites taken into the Babylonian exile. And because Daniel had a royal heritage and education, he was recruited along with some friends to work in the high court of Babylon. Work for the enemy? That would be compromise. Or they could gain the king's trust, take him down from the inside. That's what you might expect. But instead, they take Jeremiah's advice and choose the third way. They serve the king of Babylon, taking on Babylonian names and even clothing style. So they seek Babylon's well-being. But in doing so, aren't they just giving up their heritage? It could seem that way, but actually they aren't. As you read on, the story focuses on moments where they draw the line and they choose faithfulness to their God and resist the influence of Babylon. So, for example? Well, like when they're commanded to bow down to the idol of Babylon and give allegiance to the king as if he's a god. Ah, they won't go that far. Right. This is where you see their true loyalty. It requires them to critique Babylon's idolatry of power, its arrogance, its injustice. But they do it nonviolently by laying down their lives. And so God vindicates Daniel and his friends for their faithfulness. So they would serve Babylon, seek its well-being, but their loyalty was always to God. Yeah, this is what Jeremiah was envisioning. The way of the exile is a combination of loyalty and also subversion. So they're still exiles, but don't Daniel and his friends long to go home? Yes. In fact, Daniel believed that God was going to send a ruler to bring down Babylon and create a true kingdom of peace. Ah, when did he think this ruler would come? Well, at first he thought within his lifetime. But then he had a dream where he found out that after Babylon would come another oppressive empire, then another, then another. And so Babylon did fall and Israel did get to go back home. But now they're ruled by Babylon's successors. And so they maintained the mindset of an exile, waiting for their true home to come to them. And they continued the same practice of loyalty and subversion to any new versions of Babylon that came along. And this leads us to the time of Jesus. The empire of his day was Rome, ruled by Caesar. Now, some Israelites wanted to resist, while others gave in and adopted Roman culture and its gods. But watch Jesus carry on the subversive loyalty of Daniel. Like when he said, it's fine to pay taxes to Caesar, give him back his coins. But then he said, don't mistake Caesar for God. God's the one who deserves your total life and allegiance. So the way of Jesus is this same mix of loyalty and subversion. Yeah, like he taught his followers to love and even bless their enemies. But he also got arrested for speaking out against the corrupt leaders of Jerusalem and Rome. He critiqued their idolatry of power and it cost him his life. But God vindicated him by raising him from the dead as the true king of the nations. The king that Daniel had hoped for. Right. 
And Jesus promised that one day his kingdom would prevail. And so until then, his followers are living in a type of exile. Yeah, this is why the Apostle Peter calls followers of Jesus foreigners and exiles. He told them to respect the authorities of whatever place you happen to live, to honor and love all people. But then he reminds them that this isn't their true home. They're still living in Babylon. But, well, they're not living in Babylon. Babylon doesn't exist anymore. Or does it? In the Bible, Babylon has become a symbol that describes any human institution that demands allegiance to its idolatrous redefinitions of good and evil. Okay, so we all live and work in Babylon. How do I seek the well-being of Babylon while my allegiance is to someone greater? Yes, Jesus' followers are called to live in that tension between loyalty and subversion. That's the way of the exile. It's not an easy thing to live in that kind of tension because everything around us is, is trying to draw us into the systems that exist that we can see. And so we're going to be living in tension, and we're going to talk about that more. It says on here, as exiles... Our allegiance to Jesus must override family, community, and country. Now, you saw in that video, right, that when, and we talked about Babylon for a long time in Daniel earlier in the year and last year, and it's not that Daniel was trying to overthrow everything, and it's not that Daniel and his friends were attacking or violent or, or whatever, But there's a line that they had to draw at different times, right? Daniel chose to eat the food of his family, and it ended up, God blessed him through it. They said no to bound under the idol, and God blessed them. Daniel says no to stopping praying, and he's thrown into the lion's den, but he's saved. And and I can't always promise that kind of salvation that Daniel receives in his life. But that's where we have to figure this out. Because has anyone in here had family members that have tried to pull you away from Jesus? Yeah. Have any of you been part of communities? And I don't just mean where you live, I mean the things you're interested in or the people you're hanging around with, the people you're running with that have tried to pull you away from Jesus? Are there things about the city, the state, the country that we live in that the values don't line up with the kingdom? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we can try to do what we need to to bless those around us, but who's our allegiance to? If we are choosing to be part of the kingdom, it has to be to the king. It has to be to the king. And so we live in tension. And how do we figure out how to live in that tension? Where do we go to? What what do we use to work out where those lines are? And the first place I'd say is, is in the life of Jesus, right? Jesus is the king, and we're following this king. And so we've got to look at what Jesus' life looked like to say, this is what Jesus valued. This is what Jesus thought was important. This is where Jesus had an issue. Who's Jesus getting mad at? Is he railing at every sinner in the world? Never. He's loving them. When Jesus is mad, who's he mad at? 
the religious institution that is oppressing the people. Right? That's where Jesus gets mad. And rightly so. Because that's supposed to be the group that's drawing people toward the kingdom. So if this place, contact, stops drawing people toward the kingdom, it's time to rail against it. But hopefully that's not going to be who we are. And hopefully we are going to be an outpost for the kingdom. And we work together and move toward the king. That's what we want to be, right? That's what we want to be. So the life of Jesus, what Jesus valued. Second is the early church and the apostles as they're led by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we have in the book of Acts, we have in the rest of the New Testament, these stories and these writings from people who are being drawn by the Holy Spirit to figure out what it means to be a community of faith, to be a people who is following what Jesus wanted. And their example is obviously a huge place where we determine what our values are as well. They're working a lot of things out based on their culture. We have to continue doing that work too, working out what things we need to do in this present moment to be Jesus followers. How do we love more radically? How do we serve Jesus more radically? How do we look like a community that is unlike anything else on this world? What do we need to do? And a big place to see that, Sermon on the Mount. If you just want one place to go pour your attention into for a while, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and read them and read them and read them and read them and read them. And then read it again, and then read it with somebody, and then read it in a group, and then go read it by yourself, and then read it some more. Okay? This is Jesus' foundational teaching that he offers us on what kingdom life looks like. And so this is something that's critically important in the biblical text, is where Jesus explains to us what he is looking for in his followers. Okay? Yes? Good so far? All right. So, what is the goal in all of this? You know, a lot of times when we go out and we invite people to church, it feels like we're inviting people to a moral code. And I don't know about you guys, I'm not excited about a moral code. A moral code. You're living this way, and you need to live this way instead. And that, that doesn't excite me. Somebody telling me that I'm doing everything wrong, and I need to just do it different. For, because, because that's what the Bible says. Our, our goal is bigger than that. And I hope that you're seeing that in this, this kingdom series, that there is a lot more that's a lot more exciting than what we talk about a lot of times. And we're going to get even further into that today. But I want to give you three things that are goals for what we're trying to do. The first goal is personal submission. Okay? This is about, this is about me. This is about you. That we are trying to change and shape who we are. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, this is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Okay, is that good news? If I hear that somebody's going to give me everything I need, now as we learn more, we're going to find out that that's redefined. That's not everything I want. <laughs> but if I am secure, am I going to be able to flourish more? If I'm not worried about everything, am I going to be able to, to grow? Yeah, and so seek the kingdom, and, and you... 
you will be taken care of by God. And that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And some of that we have to look at a longer-term perspective than our today. And there's places where we got to talk more about that because sometimes we know people who were following God and they suddenly died in a car accident. So there's more to this than just uh, if you do this, then this will happen. All right? There's wisdom in the Bible that helps us with that too. But at the root of this is a God who respects that we want to live righteously, and if we seek him, God is going to take care of us. And that's good news. So our personal submission to God is one of our goals. Our second goal is communal reflection. And I don't mean reflection like thinking. I mean reflection like a mirror. Okay? As a community of faith, as the Contact Mission Church of Christ, we want to be a reflection of what God's doing in the kingdom on earth. Okay? This is not a country club you go join to say you're a member. This isn't some other group like other things. This is us doing our best to live now into what we're going to be doing for eternity. And that is a hard and a big thing. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and through 47. He says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is right after the Pentecost sermon. And it's saying what they did as they were establishing the church. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles formed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. That's good news. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I mean, does that sound like a good place to hang out? Right? The thing about church is sometimes, I've been part of churches before where I didn't want to invite anybody because I wasn't having a good time being there because I couldn't see God moving. I couldn't see people who were focused on loving. And maybe that was part of me not keeping my eyes open enough. But we want to be the kind of place that we cannot wait to tell other people about because we are watching God moving and working. Because the kingdom is good news. The kingdom is good news. And so we want to reflect that good news as a community. The third thing is missional transformation. Missional transformation. What are we doing when we go out of this room? Jesus says in Matthew 28, says Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One of the most important things about us as a church, I heard another preacher say this one time, is the church exists for those who aren't part of her. All right? We, we do exist in a lot of ways to encourage each other and to build each other up and to love each other, but we're also seeking new people. If we're not out there saying, hey, come follow the good king, 
Come be part of the kingdom that is great. We're missing out on other people, and they're not getting a chance to be part of God's kingdom. And we want them to be here. We want them to be here because this is good news. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's look ahead to what's yet to come. All right? So we're talking about this. We're talking about what's good news. I've been saying something about it, like there's exciting things coming. And you say, well, what's the exciting things coming? All right? And I got homework for you later today. You're going to get on Facebook and in your text messages that you get, you're going to get a link to a video on heaven and earth. I decided we shouldn't watch two videos in one Sunday. I almost did it. Uh, that will be an encouraging video to you to continue this, this study and this idea. But we're going to talk about what's coming, and we're going to look in the book of Revelation for this, all right? Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 says, this is John having this vision, and most of the time an angel is showing him around stuff. That's going to be important later because you're going to be like, what's he talking about? Angel showing him around. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heavens and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. The sea represents chaos for a lot of people. They can't control anything there. So no sea means more peace. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride dressed beautifully for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. This is, this is good. We think it's good, at least. We're like, well, what is God like? You know, we've never been in God's unfiltered presence before. So like, okay, I'm a little nervous still. What does it say? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Does that sound like good news? That's good news. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. What's going on? A lot of change. But it's good change. It's good change. We're, we're going to be made new. And that's good. I'm only 33, but I'm starting to already feel things breaking down. All right? Coffee says try 65. <laughs> uh, I'm going to wait a few years for that. But yes, we don't, we don't want things as they are to go on forever, do we? It wouldn't be great. But God's making things new. Chapter 22, verse 1. It says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street, on each side of the river grew a tree of life. What's on page one of the Bible? A garden. And there's two trees in the center, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What, what's, what's showing up on the last page of the Bible? There's that tree of life again, a tree of life again. What does that make you think? Let's read a little bit more, that there's hope. The tree of life was bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. Need that. 
No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. As soon as Adam and Eve eat from the fruit, there's a curse on the ground, there's a curse on the people, there's a curse on the snake. There's no more curse. What's happening? What's happening? What had been done is being undone, right? The way that we made things collapse, the choice we made, the consequences it brought. Jesus' reign is undoing these things. And this new kingdom is getting us back to the big, exciting plans God had at the beginning. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will what? Reign forever and ever. Who will reign forever and ever? That's right. That's right. God's getting back to the plans that he had for us from the beginning. Yeah? This is good news. The good news is that what we're calling people into is something beyond our imagination. It's something beyond what we can even think of as good and exciting. Uh, This might offend Kyler, but a lot of people talk about heaven as just sitting and singing forever. And, I mean, that sounds good to worship ministers maybe, but just doing that doesn't always sound exciting. But I think there's more. There's more. Because some of that vision is still in, in the time before this new creation. The heavens and earth are going to be made new. God is going to be with us. We are going to be with God. And instead of a garden, we have a whole city because we need room because there's lots of people. And that's good. And we want to invite people to this new way of life that's really the original way of life God had planned for us. And this story is not just about change some of your behaviors. This story is about a king and a kingdom that go on forever that are better than anything you can imagine. It means we've got to change some because what we've got going on is not going to let it be good enough for us. Does that make sense? God had to take them out of the garden because they couldn't live forever with bodies that were going to decay. They couldn't live forever with their propensity for violence. They couldn't live forever with the way that they want to keep wrecking things. But as we are transformed into the newness, as the world is transformed into newness, as God's kingdom comes, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. It is good news for those who will hear it. For those who have ears, let them hear. God's got big things. And so we say from Revelation 22, the last verses, He who is faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. So we say together, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Because we want this. We want this. If you haven't said yes yet, if you haven't joined the kingdom, if you're not following Jesus, if the direction of your life is not heading toward the renewal of all things, submit to Jesus because he loves you and he wants you. Say yes as we stand and as we sing.